Hello and welcome to the podcast edition of ANC's Matters of Fact. I'm Christian Esguera. Alright, so of course the uh, Duterte administration is now on legacy mode and uh, just last week the members of the cabinet came out with this uh, Duterte legacy campaign which they hope would be able to set the record straight in terms of uh, the so-called achievements of the administration. Now for today's podcast, we're going to talk about one aspect that was included in this uh, so-called Duterte legacy report and that involves freedom of the press and the security of media practitioners in the Philippines. So for today, we're joined by Professor uh, Danny or Danilo Arau. He's a, the founding member of the Altor Media or the Network of uh, Alternative Media. And he also teaches journalism at the University of the Philippines and the Polytechnic University of the Philippines. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on this podcast, Professor Danny. Yeah, very happy to be here, Christian. Thank you for having me. Okay, uh, let's start with this claim. Or <laughs> don't want to use the word claim. Anyway, let's talk about the so-called legacy of the president when it comes to uh, dealing with, uh, with media in promoting media security and press freedom. Do you think this is appropriate time to actually talk about a so-called legacy by the president in this respect? Uh, when you talk about legacy, usually it's an end-of-term end report. So it should be after six years of uh, the term of a particular uh, incumbent president. So I really wonder why uh, halfway or midterm uh, there would be suddenly a legacy report, uh, a status report would have sufficed. Mm -hmm. But 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 how how would you, for example, uh, actually assess or how do you see the claim by, by 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 the administration, in particular by the uh, by the PT forms, the Presidential Task Force on Media Security, because during that launch of the Duterte Legacy Report, there was an announcement by a uh, uh, Under Secretary Assistant Secretary Joel C. Egko. He said that uh, basically there's good news in the Philippines because in 2019 the Philippines was already off the list of the most dangerous countries for journalists in the world? Well, uh, we have to look at the basic empirical data. Uh, perhaps he is referring to data from the Reporters and Frontiers, but we also have to look at uh, data from the Committee to Protect Journalists, uh, which still lists uh, the Philippines as part of those uh, that uh, comprise the Global Impunity Index. Uh, we also have to look at data from the Freedom House, uh, which says that we're still partly free. And of course, let's not forget uh, data from the Center for Media Freedom and Responsibility and the National Union of Journalists of the Philippines uh, and the Freedom for, all, uh, Freedom for Media, Freedom for All Coalition that lists uh, not just media killings, but also various forms of harassment and intimidation against the media. We can uh, specify uh, the particular information uh, that later on but the bottom line here christian is that uh, when you talk about legacy quote unquote of the duterte administration as regards media uh, it's still we're still in very dire straits and there's still culture of impunity even mm -hmm. if uh, the likes of undersecretary egco would deny the existence of culture of impunity but, but i think uh, a major basis of his announcement uh, during that duterte legacy report uh, campaign which was launched last week had to do with this uh, historic decision mm -hmm. by the Quezon City Regional Trial Court say, uh, convicting members of the powerful Ampatuan clan over the, uh, the Maguindano massacre in mm. 2009. So basically, uh, when you talk about a big number of cases involving journalists, basically, it has been solved yeah. by virtue of that conviction. Don't get me wrong, uh, the 
decision last December 19 was quite significant insofar as uh, that particular injustice uh, that happened 10 years ago, uh, ah, sorry, about 21 years ago, November 23, 2009. Uh, but bottom line here is if you've read the 761-page decision of Justice Sol Solis Reyes, the title there is Consolidated Partial Decision. Keyword here is partial. Mm -hmm. Number one, 80 are still at large, which uh, Undersecretary ECO recognizes, right? Uh, I think it's now 78 uh, to have been apprehended already. That's fine. But it's still partial. And uh, we have to remember that uh, there are still Ampatuan clan members that had been acquitted. And let's not forget, uh, that particular decision at the regional trial court level will still be uh, subject to appeal, if ever, uh, by the higher courts, particularly the Court of Appeals and the Supreme Court. So there's reason to be happy about what happened last December 19, but we still need to have guarded optimism. And again, I don't want to sound like a broken record here. There's still culture of impunity, whether we like it or not, despite the decision that was made last December 19. Okay. Now, let's go to the very basic question. Uh, is the Philippines a safe place for journalists? I think to answer that question, it's important to put things in perspective. Mm. That the, the widespread violence or the, the, the so-called violence uh, victimizing members of the media are not exactly, let's say, found in Metro Manila in particular. No? Mm. But, but generally, in the Philippines, under this present administration, is it a safe or a dangerous place for journalists? Uh, dangerous would be an understatement uh, in the sense that uh, you still need to... Uh, it has come to a point, uh, Christian, where in journalism schools, you have to conduct safety training among journalism students. Uh, because uh, I've had the experience of teaching journalism, for example, in Germany and in South Korea. And there, uh, you just need to teach the basics of journalism because uh, generally speaking, the atmosphere there would be quite free. And even data from the Freedom House would uh, provide information to that, would provide validation of that particular uh, classification of free. In our case, we're still partly free based on data from the Freedom House, and uh, it's still dangerous. Uh, we're not just talking about the magnitude of uh, media killing since 1986. NUJP puts it at above uh, 180. Uh, CMFR puts it at above 160. But more than that, but aside from the killings, we have to talk about various forms of harassment and intimidation of the media. Uh, that's the subject, actually, of my ongoing doctoral thesis in Germany. And I can tell you, Christian, that based on the survey that I've conducted and the qualitative interviews I've conducted with journalists uh, across different political beliefs, across different political spectrum, they all agree that it's quite dangerous and that uh, journalists would really need to take care of themselves. Dangerous in what sense? Is it uh, because of a possible physical harm? We're or there's something else involved here? Uh, there are various uh, forms of harassment inti and intimidation. So mainly it's physical, but of course uh, we have to talk about uh, cyberbullying, uh, online threats. Uh, sometimes, uh, well, it, in journalism we're in the business of words, right? And words matter insofar as comments are concerned. Uh, take it from me. We can uh, we can uh, engage in constructive criticism if necessary, and uh, for sure, journalists are trained to accept uh, such uh, criticisms uh, with regard to errors or in judgment or uh, any transgressions in their reportage. But what's unacceptable, uh, Christian, is when uh, you would engage in name calling, and most especially vulnerable here, Christian, would be the female journalists because mm -hmm. they are 
subjected to body shaming and rape threats. Yeah, actually, that's uh, I think that's one thing that uh, that needs to be emphasized here. Even if we're not talking specifically of physical violence that might afflict certain members of the media, there are other forms of harassment that are experienced by many members exactly. of the media, not, not just the mainstream media, alternative media also, for example. So, for example, in this case, how, how bad is the situation? You have the president himself uh, repeatedly criticizing members of the media. You have his allies, his supporters in Congress, pro-Duterte bloggers actually pouncing on members of the media for reports that they consider as uh, as negative or not favorable, not favorable to the administration. How bad is the situation, really? Okay, if we compare uh, past administrations, uh, don't get me wrong, Christian, uh, there is a love a love hate relationship between the administration and uh, the media in general. Uh, but what's different about this particular administration, as you correctly pointed out, it's the brazen uh, cursing, catcalling, if you call it, by the president himself. So that needs to be addressed, uh, number one. Number two, uh, the army of trolls right now, the so-called DDS or Duterte diehard supporters, uh, many of them are anonymous accounts and they would use vile language directed against uh, certain journalists. Uh, that would partly explain why, uh, without naming names, uh, there are certain prominent journalists, award-winning ones, uh, who have decided to change their Facebook profiles, their names on Facebook, uh, so that uh, they would, wouldn't be victimized anymore. W would you say that uh, members of the media, or the news media in particular, mm -hmm. are under attack? Or some people say it's more of an understatement when you say under attack. Uh, in a sense, you can say that it's an understatement in the sense that uh, it's now an everyday routine to be attacked, especially if you have a high, prof a high visibility on social media. So being under attack right now, uh, when we talk about cyberbullying, for example, uh, it's not necessarily spread across equally. Uh, for example, a certain Christian Esguera would be more prone to attacks because uh, he would be employed by a more prominent... Uh, news media organization, but another reporter who's employed in a lesser-known media organization would not get that much attacks, but still, that particular reporter uh, is still vulnerable. Uh, we have to remember, uh, since you brought up physical attacks, so of course these are real threats, mm -hmm. but these attacks, even if these are just words, uh, it can affect the mental health uh, of the journalist, and that's why in journalism school, we try to prepare our students uh, to, you know, as early as now, be ready for such attacks. And I think one, one offshoot of this particular atmosphere that is uh, prevailing under, under present circumstances is the, uh, the fact or the reality that many members uh, of the media are now resorting to self-censorship. Yes. So they're being more careful than they're supposed to. Yeah, uh, that's one of the findings uh, of my ongoing doctoral thesis. Uh, yeah, self-censorship self is one. And sometimes uh, even the editors themselves, uh, even if they're not pressured by the owners, the advertisers, and other filters uh, of uh, gatekeeping, uh, the editors themselves would tell politely the media, uh, the, a particular journalist to go easy on a particular topic. Uh, sometimes self-censorship can take two forms. Number one, it can be just simply not pursuing certain angles of a particular issue uh, that would be quite sensitive and that might incur the ire of the so-called DDS. Number two, it can be outright uh, dropping of a particular topic and, and then just focus on uh, a less harmless 
uh, topic. Uh, you know, Christian, that is quite reminiscent of martial law. Mm. Uh, because during that time, from 1972 to 1986, there had been cases of journalists uh, working even for the crony press wherein uh, they would not anymore tackle uh, issues that would be critical of the Marcoses and then just simply focus on uh, less quote-unquote important things. One interesting anecdote that was shared to me by my former professor when I was a student was this particular columnist who was warned by uh, an editor about a certain topic critical of the Marcoses and then the next day he had to, and then the topic of his column was how to boil an egg. <laughs> I mean, specifically how to boil an egg because you won't incur the ire of the Marcoses by giving instructions on how to boil eggs, right? So that, that, that that's more of a, of a, a sarcastic column, right? Yeah, somehow, yeah, somehow. You can look at it that way or you can look at it as, you know, just simply playing safe, right? I'm sure that you wouldn't uh, attack me by writing a column on how to boil an egg. So, yes. yes. And I think those who are listening to us should also understand the fact that uh, media practitioners are in the business of truth-seeking yes. and truth-telling. Now, I mentioned the word business because at the end of the day, you need to raise profits also to sustain your operations. But more importantly, much more important is the fact that you need to be focused on truth-seeking and truth-telling. So th yeah. there's a problem if you are uh, influenced by so many forces, not just those coming from the government, that affect your coverage. Yeah. If you put business above uh, truth-telling and truth-seeking, that's correct. But we have to also look at the dichotomy of the dominant media and the alternative media. Your point about media being a business uh, is definitely true for the dominant media. Yeah. But the sector I represent, which is the alternative media, uh, would be more cost-oriented than profit-oriented. Of course, the downside there is that uh, our journalists, our editors, uh, they do not get paid uh, for doing their job. They do so out of commitment rather than employment. Uh, that's not to say that uh, we're putting down our friends in the dominant media. Actually, dominant media are very significant uh, in the Philippine media landscape because they have a wide reach and they are better known uh, by a wider public. So the basic challenge, uh, as you correctly pointed out, as far as the dominant media would be concerned, to is to have that you know delicate balance between raising profits and you know having a viable business on one hand, but at the same time you cannot compromise truth telling and truth seeking. Mm -hmm. Now let's compare the the situation now compared to the situation during previous administrations. We know for the fact that the. Uh, the pressure coming from a sitting administration it's not isolated or exclusive to this administration mm -hmm. these instances also happen in the past for example but what's the big difference now well you can say that the most recent past administration would have its own yellow army of trolls for example but it's not as vile and as uh, threatening uh, as what we have now insofar as the trolls are concerned and the difference would also have to be with the with how the president himself would deal with the journalists. Uh, right now, there are certain news media organizations that are being singled out, uh, that are subjected to harassment and intimidation. Uh, one of them has been, has been filed a case uh, of tax evasion, various cases of tax mm -hmm. evasion. Uh, another has a, net, uh, has a franchise uh, being, you know, uh, threatened not to be renewed. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry if we're not if we're doing blind items right now. But at any rate, uh, those are examples of uh, the chilling effect. Because you know, Christian uh, government officials can always argue that you know there are thousands and thousands of news media organizations right now, and only two are complaining or 
Only or three. Two. Let's or make three. it three. Yeah, okay, three. Let's take three based on the state of the nation address of Duterte. Mm. <laughs> so there are only three. So therefore, there is press freedom because it's be being enjoyed by the majority. That's not how the Constitution works and that's not how freedom works. Mm. Freedom for all. Okay, again, freedom for all. So if there are three that are being subjected to harassment and intimidation, it sends a chilling effect on the others. And, uh, and I think people yes. should understand the context of uh, media operating under a regime of self-regulation. Yes, you cannot uh, you cannot give this uh, this right or opportunity to those in power because the tendency is for them to abuse that power. Yes, exactly. So that's why freedom should be enjoyed by all, and uh, the government would be best left to uh, would be better off just simply leaving them alone. Leaving them alone in the sense that uh, you have to create an atmosphere that is conducive to freedom. Mm. No amount of regulation uh, should be done to control the media. So just let the media be. And of course, that's not to say that uh, members of the media can get away with murder, quote-unquote. Yes. That's figurative, of course. Yes, of course. Meaning of they course. can get away with so <laughs> many errors, malicious reports. Yeah. But the mechanism should be self-correcting. Yes. That's why there has to be better or greater introspection on the part of media. Yeah. Self-correcting mechanism. Yeah, self-correcting. Uh, in the sense that uh, if you commit a mistake, uh, the people would be able to call you out if there are certain mistakes like that. Actually, my advice uh, to, you know, media critics or even the DDS uh, trolls who are listening right now, if you want to criticize, for example, ABS-CBN, you read the Standards and Ethics Manual of ABS-CBN, and then whatever errors ABS-CBN may have, you quote from the manual and then say it straight to their faces that, hey, you have your manual here and you committed this mistake, aren't you violating your own guidelines? I mean, that's one strategy. That, that's true, and that would keep members of the media on their toes. Exactly. That, that will make them more conscious and careful in terms of their reporting, not because they're afraid of anyone in power but because they're afraid that they might uh, commit uh, er errors in judgment for example yes. and might abuse the power that they have yes exactly and uh, just to be specific about uh, I'm sorry for uh, speci specifying ABS-CBN uh, the manual uh, I don't know if it's publicly available but I invite uh, people to go to our library if for example ABS-CBN wouldn't want to give you a copy or cannot provide you with a copy, then we'll be more than willing to have it photocopied for you. Also, even without that particular uh, manual, you can go by the, uh, the, the Code of Ethics yes. for Filipino Journalists. Of course. That applies to generally to members of the Philippine press, right? Yeah, that's correct. And it's only sh it's shorter because there are only 11 guidelines there. But I also and have my own questions regarding that uh, set of guidelines. I think that yeah. can still be improved. Yes, definitely. I agree. Uh, well, the Filipino Journalist Code of Ethics was established in 1989. Yeah. So it deserves a second look uh yeah don't get me wrong so yeah mm. i agree now speaking of uh, let's say pressures or harassment coming from a sitting government i remember th this 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 particular example is common not just in 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 any particular administration for example the fact that there are certain instances when members of malacanang for example or officials would request a news organization to to remove Mm. A reporter assigned to a specific beat, let's say, to the Malacanang press corps because they don't like the way <laughs> reporting is done by that particular writer or reporter, what have you. Yeah. You know, so it happened. Yeah. It happens. Yeah, it happened in the past. Actually, not just uh, in this particular administration. Yeah, I'm not saying that this course. happened here, but yes, I know for a fact that then. in the previous administration. Yes, definitely. It happened. Yeah, it happened. And uh, again, uh, 
the administration is better off, you know, providing the decision uh, to the better judgment of the editorial board. And what's a bit disconcerting here, Christian, is sometimes it happened uh, routinely uh, in the past administrations, but right now we have outright banning of certain uh, news media organization. Let's hide it under the name of Rappler, for yeah. example, <laughs> uh, where Pia, uh, Ranyada, uh, you know, without any consultations whatsoever was just simply barred okay from entering malacanang i mean you know, you i was know, very alarmed with that and yeah. you know what's more problematic there yes. that was very brazen on the part of malacanang to order that yes and all other members of rappler i understand are not allowed to cover the president yes. and worse i think was the reaction or the lack of it <laughs> coming from the members of the media ah because i saw the statement coming from the malacanang press corps under normal circumstances they would have come up with the a strong statement because <laughs> one of their own was banned from covering yes. the president. But uh, to be fair, I think the NUJP, the National Union of Journalists of the Philippines, uh, from my understanding, issued a, s a very strongly worded statement about it. But, but yes. what about the National Press Club? <laughs> Do we need to talk about it? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But uh, yeah, uh, the National Press Club uh, would be quite for lack of a better word, disappointing, uh, not just because of how it handled the Piyanranyada case, but uh, how it looks at, number one, culture of impunity, and number two, how it looks at uh, the current administration uh, of Duterte. So I'm not to, uh, this is not to call out our friends from the NPC. It's just a simple question of why they're acting like that. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Now, just supposed to put things in perspective what happened to Rappler to Pia Ranada mm -hmm. um, that she was banned from covering uh, events by the president I remember during the time of uh, then president Joseph Estrada there was also an instance when a reporter of the Philippine Daily ah, Inquirer yes. was <laughs> barred from entering the palace yeah because there was a, th there was a run-in yes. with, with then president Joseph Estrada members of the media not just members of the Malacanang press corps raised a howl they yes. complained quite aggressively, quite furiously. And that was just that instance. Yeah. Well, things are different now, unfortunately. Uh, well, I'm not saying that uh, repression is now the new normal. Uh, it's just that under the new administration, uh, I'm not saying that many members of the media are afraid, but uh, you cannot blame them if they act that way because this is a particular, for lack of a better term again, killing president. Okay, killing in the sense, um, not just literally, but quite figuratively because he's quite brazen. I mean, he's a president like no other. And I don't mean it as a compliment. It's, yeah, it's really very brazen. And you know, Christian, uh, I'm not sure if you're, I, I think you're too young to remember this <laughs> during the time of uh, I'm Cory Aki. I'm just 21. Yeah, no, I know. No, I'm I know. joking, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, I know, you're 21. <laughs> anyway, but during the time of Aquino, uh, just to add up to what you said, uh, there was a time when uh, the press secretary of Cory Aquino by the name of Teddy Boyloxin I think I know required that Okay, maybe you can continue. There you go. <laughs> uh, required uh, the reporters to wear perfumes, to, to dress better uh, because they're covering Malacanang. Uh, but uh, yeah, again, uh, the Malacanang press corps raised a howl of protest. And we're just talking of perfumes mm -hmm. and dressing better, right? And uh, Cory Aquino, if I remember correctly, backed down, right? And mm -hmm. we're just talking talking of perfume, not really harassment and intimidation of the media. So things are quite different now. Now the the the, the new media the, the new media platforms. Do you think uh, uh -huh. how are they affecting this uh, this uh, this confrontation coming from 
those in power from the government as far as media are concerned? Well, there's a good side and a bad side to it. The good thing is that uh, we're able to quickly get the information. For example, in the case of Pia Ranyaga, we don't, we don't need to get uh, information from Rappler. We got it straight from her own, uh, I think, Facebook and Twitter accounts uh, regarding the confrontation right then and there, right? So she had the presence of mind to take a video of what's happening, so she's able to relay the information quite quickly. But at the same time, the speed and immediacy of uh, information dissemination could give rise to uh, fake news, uh, especially now where uh, fakery has uh, grown to an extent where you can now do deep fakes, right? Yeah, yeah. You can uh, splice videos, you can manipulate certain images to the point where you cannot anymore distinguish which is an authentic video and which is a fake video. So there's a good side and a bad side to it. And right now, uh, the challenge for audiences would be really be more literate in terms of distinguishing the truth from the fake. Do you think it's uh, more difficult to work as a journalist now compared to previous years? Uh, it's more, well, there are different forms of challenges. In the previous years, uh, we, we are just confined to print and broadcast. Uh, Okay, let's be more specific. Print, in, in, TV, in and radio. Yeah, yeah, in terms of having to deal with uh, harassment, pressures, not just those coming from the government, but from other yeah. sectors. Ah, okay. Yeah, thank you for clarifying. Uh, yeah, uh, the there's more difficulty in terms of uh, dealing with harassment and intimidation under the current administration because it's not just the administration's brazenness, but also the general audience's uh, general indifference uh, toward the situation in the media. Uh, now, why would I say that the audience is indifferent? Uh, for the simple reason that many of our news media organizations, I'm sorry to say, uh, wouldn't be so forthcoming in terms of acknowledging certain mistakes or certain errors in reportage, and sometimes these things would uh, be embedded in the minds of people. Even actually the selection of news in the dominant media would be quite problematic when you mix uh, serious news, uh, let's say the hard news versus the soft news, you know, gossip, trivia, and all that. Uh, let's be more specific. When we talk about the Taal Volcano in a particular segment, the, the eruption, and then you end with, let's say, entertainment news about mm. uh, Jadeen breaking up, mm -hmm. okay? So people would tend to gravitate toward Jadeen yeah. more than the Taal Volcano eruption. Be number one, because that's lighter. And number two, that's the last uh, segment uh, before the commercial. So with that particular composition of news or sequencing of news, uh, we would have a problem in the shaping of public opinion. Unlike during the time, again, I think you're too young to remember this, Christian, uh, the news would be divided into politics, business, sports, and entertainment, usually in that particular order. Unfortunately, I remember that. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you for admitting. Well, truth-telling what I... Uh, yeah, actually, because I spent on. so many years uh, in print with yes. the Philippine Daily Inquirer. So that's how I got started with media. You have the front page, the news, world news, business, yes. and then lifestyle is separated. Yeah, lifestyle. But uh, talking about TV, since uh, we're here at ABS-CBN, uh, usually the newscast, the news programs, would just focus on... Uh, the first one would be politics, and then business, and then mm -hmm. sports, and then entertainment. Uh, we're not saying that uh, entertainment uh, deserves to be taken out of the news. I mean, by all means, we can put it there, but uh, it should be somewhere last because it's not as important regarding burning, if we want to consider the burning issues of the day. 
Yeah, I, I think that has to do with the also the basis of news. Yes. Of course, that particular term itself might be a contradiction in terms, but of course, with the way this is practiced uh, in a widespread manner, that's how they present it. It's something like uh, you give the hard news and then you provide some sort of a soft yes information somehow to not to not to leave the audience or the reader somehow yeah. feeling too bad about yeah. <laughs> what happened to his to his or her day yeah i apologize <laughs> if i would be a little bit academic about yeah. uh, discussing it uh, you're correct it would work uh, in the context of escapism mm -hmm. uh, escapism in the sense that uh, the many media organizations uh, would want to provide a form of escape uh, for mm -hmm. audiences so that they could temporarily forget about their problems. So we're not just talking about uh, movies or TV series or any forms of entertainment. Sometimes the news would take on a certain infotainment character yeah. wherein uh, you would mix uh, important information, important news, and then uh, in the form of something that's more entertaining. So that's yeah. one approach, yes. Actually, I agree. That's one of my pet peeves. Infotainment. Infotainment. Yes. So yes. I think personally, there was a time that I really hated it because <laughs> uh, to me, that somehow bastardizes uh, yeah. journalism in its purest form. Yeah, that's a sign of responsible journalism, hating infotainment. So actually, that's what we teach among our journalism students. Uh, mm -hmm. I think the same case applies to UST and other schools. Uh, but the bottom line here, uh, Christian, is that uh, infotainment has no room in a situation where you would want to shape public opinion. Because sometimes people would counter-argue that, no, you need infotainment so that people can better understand the issues. Actually, no. If you want to people to understand the issues, then you simplify the discussion. Use mm -hmm. words that people can understand. And actually, it, it's something as basic as the language. Uh -oh. Gumamit tayo ng wikang Filipino para, para mas ma maintindihan ng mas malawak na masa. Mm -hmm. So that's how we try to simplify issues, not to trivialize or make light of what, is should, what should be a serious discussion. And sometimes the other school of thought is that if you try to trivialize a very important issue too much, you're not just doing a great disservice on the yes. audience, on the readers or the viewers, but you don't actually show much respect because you look down yes. on them exactly. as if they could not understand complicated issues, even if you try to simplify them, yeah. unless you infuse entertainment. Yes, that's a th yeah, that's an excellent way of putting it because uh, in journalism, we try to be sensitive to the needs of our audiences. We cannot be condescending and we cannot look down on them and we look at them as co-equals. And in fact, the more responsible journalist would assume that the basic information, the audiences may already know it, so you have to give more value-added uh, uh, output. And by value added, I mean provide more information, provide more research. Yeah, simply so put, you don't numb them down. Yes, you <coughs> don't numb them down. And sometimes uh, the approach of some journalists would be to further trivialize the issue. Sometimes it's as basic as them not doing the research. So therefore, you cannot discuss much about the issue. So you try to, you know, use uh, more entertaining words, highfalutin words, or whatever, so that uh, you can fill in, let's say, a one-hour, thirty-minute uh, segment. Uh, even if you have very little to research. Now, a real journalistic output would have tons and tons of research, and then you realize you only need a certain part of the information that you gathered. So over-researching yeah. is essential in journalism. Thank you for pointing that out, because uh -huh. I think uh, Professor Aro is being too polite, <laughs> if not <laughs> diplomatic. But I think what you're yes. trying to say is that if you have that opportunity to become a journalist, 
it's not only a right but also a privilege to a lot of people because not everyone gets to become a journalist yes you have to make the most out of it by doing uh, good research yes over research so that you'll be able to serve something substantial to the readers because sometimes there's this tendency unfortunately to hide to hide the ignorance yeah behind certain uh, trivial words for example exactly yeah i think that's what you're trying to say but you're being polite (laughs) Sige na nga, hindi na ako magiging polite. Huwag kang tamad. Yun na lang. Okay? And unlike what a senator says, uh, dapat magpakabaliw po tayo sa research uh, insofar as journalism is concerned. Uh, so that's why this is a stark reminder, uh, not just to the journalism students who are listening right now, but even to the more seasoned and professional journalists that uh, research is the key to shaping public opinion and over-researching is not bad. I mean, it's a virtue. Yeah. And I think this is, a, th- this is a very good point that you mentioned. I think this is also one of the uh, more important responses that media as an industry could actually present or put forward in the face of this so-called harassment coming from the government and their supporters. Exactly. Do good reporting, yeah. proper reporting. Yeah, do good reporting. So be the best that you can be in so far as journalism is concerned. But of course, uh, Christian, if I sh- if I may add, uh, right now the responsibility of journalists does not just rest on doing a good job uh, in your uh, particular news media organization. We need to band together to fight for press freedom. If a certain media organization uh, has a franchise that may not be renewed, then we have to band together to make sure that that particular media organization will continue regardless of our differences in the business because sometimes uh, some news media organizations would be happy would only be too happy with a particular leading network closing down because that would mean more profits for them but this that's not the issue the issue here is press freedom uh, and of course the lives and livelihood of more than 11,000 uh, journalists and media workers working for that particular uh, media organization so we have to make sure that uh, we protect uh, news media uh, the news media organization. Uh, to quote from Edmund Lambeth, uh, he says that in the absence of freedom, it is the journalist's responsibility to fight for it. So it is at this particular historical juncture under the Duterte administration that, that we have to prove that we have to fight for press freedom. So that's part of the task of the journalists right now. So far, uh, how do you think the, the media industry in the Philippines is faring when it comes to defending not just their own interests but the interests of press freedom which of course would mean the interests of the entire journalism as an industry well i can say that uh, the more responsible and the more prominent uh, journalists uh, are doing their fair share in terms of fighting for press freedom Uh, i cannot say the same thing for uh, all other journalists out there Uh, well just for some trivia to the people listening right now uh, there are roughly 3,500 journalists uh, in the Philippines nationwide. So I cannot tell you the exact figure as to how many of them are actually fighting actively for press freedom, but we hope that many uh, will join in the fight. Uh, there is an ongoing signature campaign made by the National Union of Journalists of the Philippines regarding a particular network whose franchise uh, may not be renewed. And I'm happy to tell you, Christian, that uh, as of last night, uh, we've already breached um, more than 100,000 signatures. Many celebrities have joined in the fray, have joined in the call for uh, uh, that particular signature campaign. And I think we can start with something as basic as that. Journalists from all walks of life, 
should show their solidarity by signing that particular petition uh, that's available on change.org. Okay. Now, let's go to the uh, to another issue confronting um, because the, the, the issues that you mentioned can be seen uh, as uh, an existential threat mm. on, the part, on the part of journalists. But, uh, that, but another issue that actually confronts members of the media involves their very existence day to day. Yes. I mean, bad salary, yes. uh, bad benefits. Generally, uh, I'm not specifying any particular media company or news organization, let's say, um, let's say in the provinces or in the communities. But there was this one uh, pending House bill mm. that was introduced in the current 18th Congress regarding uh, the promotion of media security. Mm -hmm. And the uh, I think they call this the Media Me Welfare Media Welfare Act. Yeah. And one one interesting item here concerns of course tenure of office. Yeah. Do you think that's feasible? Well, yeah. It well says here stability of employment and security of tenure shall be assured the media workers as provided under existing laws. Nakalagay pa rin yung ano, <laughs> existing laws. As provided <laughs> under existing laws. Yeah. So, well, it makes it to a bit uh, well I'll try to be polite here. It makes it a little bit toothless uh, in the sense that the existing laws right now still provide for contractualization, I'm sorry to say. And uh, of course, uh, as they say, the devil is in the details. So let's see if uh, uh, regularization would really be done insofar as the you know journalists and media workers would be concerned. But what's interesting about that House Bill also, uh, 2476, if I'm not mistaken, is that uh, it also provides salary scales yeah. for various positions. A compensation table. Yes, a compensation sige, table. Let's sige, mention sige. Uh, some of the examples. So I think this is also very important to note. But before we go to this uh, compensation table, by the way, I'd like to ask re regarding sure. that, is it even feasible to make sure that uh, all members of the media are regularized? Or, I mean, it's a reality that yeah. not everyone... Well, it's a matter of can choice. Yeah, not everyone can be <coughs> covered, but uh, of course, it's also a matter of choice. Uh, in, in journalism, there are people who would prefer to be freelancers uh, because they want to write for various news media organizations. Uh, if you just end up with one, then you might be under exclusive contract to just write for that particular news media organization, which somehow restricts your movement. Mm. So that's one point. Second point... Uh, Again, uh, when we talk about uh, regularization of salaries, uh, we have to understand the workings of the alternative media. I can tell you right now, this may be a bit hard to believe. I've been with Bulatlat since 2001. I haven't been paid one peso. Okay? Why? Because it's the work is voluntary. We do so out of commitment. So advocacy. Yeah, exactly. It's advocacy. You've taken the word out of my mouth. So it's advocacy. So... Do y does it mean that Bulatlat will now be required to pay our no. workers? So that, that, that again becomes problematic. What do you do with alternative media organizations that do so out of advocacy? Yeah, but, but of course, on the other hand, this, this might be a welcome development for a lot of members of the media. Yes. If you're going to, let's say, assure security of tenure, yes. because many are confronted by that problem, the lack of job security. Yes, that's true. But again, it's uh, there's a proviso there under existing laws. Mm. So we don't know how it can be actually uh, done. So that's why, uh, Christian, uh, going back to the process, it's now, it's now pending as of July 2019. I hope that uh, we would all be invited to attend the public hearing because I am personally interested to know how that particular provision on, se on regularization would be 
really done or uh, implemented for or implemented or oh. if it can be up implemented at all at all tama okay now let's talk about the compensation table yes. here it mentions column one position mm -hmm. and then the salary will be based on the number of years of experience fair enough diba? yes if, if you definitely. listen to that if you look at that well, fair that's fair diba? example if you're uh, a researcher according to the proposed compensation table if you've worked for three years your salary should be 25,000 pesos a month. Okay, that's good. <laughs> On five years, it has to increase to 30,000. Eight years, 45,000. And then 10 years, 50,000. Mm -hmm. Now, my question is, can you honestly apply this? Actually, when I read the bill, uh, I was trying to look at, you know, uh, any technical uh, research that was done on that I cannot find anything, unfortunately. Uh, I don't know where they got the figures. Uh, don't get me wrong, 25,000 uh, would be, you know, okay. But uh, has an industry study been done mm -hmm. to show, to prove that uh, all mid or majority at least of media organizations can afford to provide that salary? Because the reality right now, for example, when it comes to print, is that there are only three that are actually churning out profits. Uh, can we name them the three? Is it okay? I'll or do that for you. <laughs> okay, yeah, please do that for me. <laughs> I don't know the exact placing now, yeah, huh? of but course, before of it's usually the Manila Bulletin, Philippine Star, Philippine Daily Inquirer. Correct. In terms of largest circulation, biggest profit. Yeah, exactly. You're right. You're right. So all the other publications, uh, they it's either they operate in the red or sometimes they they barely break even. Mm. So can they provide that? I can mean, they afford to? Can yeah? Can they afford to? If they can, then okay, fine. That would be fine. But we need to get a statement from these particular news media organizations and i think one w one problem or one repercussion is that th this might put some news organizations also out of business exactly so that's why uh, while it's about media welfare you might end up forcing the closure <laughs> of the other news media organizations if you would really implement that particular compensation package yeah, example here field reporter if you've spent three years you're Monthly salary should be 40,000. Mm -hmm. That's good if they can afford it. <laughs> and then uh, ABS-CBN pays more than that, right? <laughs> or no comment. Uh, okay. No comment. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> Five years of experience for field reporters, 45,000. And okay. then eight years, 50,000. And then 10 years, 60,000. Actually, I think what's not included yet in the discussion here is that uh, they actually increase the salary simply because, uh, because of longevity. Mm. Or they have there has to be a certain mechanism to make sure that you're also rewarding not just longevity meritocracy yeah. but meritocracy to be more more importantly yeah that's correct uh so the provision there on one hand uh when i looked at the salary package uh well it's quite attractive if you ask me but a technical study should still be done so the challenge for axis uh, taduran and tulfo they're the they're the principal authors there uh is to show uh the study that they've conducted uh, to come up with such figures for for this for, yeah for that particular salary package because my hypothesis if i may is that uh it may maybe some news media organizations maybe the two leading networks for example may be able to afford that salary for a field reporter but i cannot say the same for the other news media organizations unfortunately so, so more studies have to be done when it comes to this particular proposal yeah. because you know christian the implication there is maybe some media organizations may not close down but they may end up retrenching actually 
some of their reporters because they're not able to pay them uh, that same level of salary. So yeah. we have to ask and we have to get more information about it. But you know what's more interesting, and I'm sure we will discuss it later on, is the abolition of the Presidential Task Force on Media Security under that bill to come up with an independent commission. I yeah, was, I'm suppo sorry. I was okay. supposed to go there next. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm no, sorry. no, that, that, that's <laughs> fine because that is the, uh, <laughs> the natural progression of our discussion. Here okay. it mentions, right now we have the Presidential Task Force on Media Security, okay? yes. which is, uh, of course, headed by Mr. Joel Edco. Yes. Okay. Now, the proposal under this bill is that there will now be a commission on press freedom and media security. Yeah. Is this something that's good? Okay, uh, I wish to go on record here that that one was my idea in uh, at a Senate hearing way back in August in the presence of Undersecretary Edco and the chair of the Committee on Public Information of and Mass Media then was Senator Grace Poe. So that was my idea. Now, my concept of an independent commission is one that would not be under the office of the president and one that would function similar to the Civil Service Commission, the Commission on Human Rights, and other in and even the COMELEC, Commission on Elections. Uh, so independent constitutional body? Yes, yes. Uh, which may entail either, well, I'm sorry to say, uh, either constitutional change or uh, the enactment of a particular republic uh, creating that particular commission. And I even explained, uh, I'm sorry if we may not have more time here, and I even explained there the difference between the CHR, the Commission on Human Rights, and this particular commission on media safety and security, so that there will be no, there will be some overlapping, but at least the focus uh, would be quite articulated. Now, what disappoints me a lot and what depresses me a lot when I read that particular bill is that my idea has been hijacked, I'm sorry to say this word, <laughs> it has been hijacked to more or less design the independent commission in a way that, we that it will still be part of government. So. Part, no, not part of government. It will still be part of the executive branch. What I said during the Senate hearing in the presence of Senator Grace Poe was that it's necessary to reform the PP forms in such a way that this particular task force will be able to take the president to account for whatever transgressions he may have against the media. Because right now, the PT forms cannot do that. Mm. And he cannot even criticize uh, the Office of the Solicitor General for what it did to Rappler and a particular news media organization by virtue of a co-warrant to petition. You know why? Because the OSG is a member of PT forms. When the Philippine National Police says that there is no culture of impunity, PT forms would have to agree. Why? Because the, P because the PNP is part of PT forms again. So we want to get rid of that particular uh, uh, infirmity so that we can have an independent commission that will be run, hopefully, by media practitioners and members of the academe who really know a lot about yeah. the media. Not just, not just because they lobbied for that spot. Yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry I for don't that know what you're trying to imply. Sorry for that anyway. side <laughs> comment. Anyway, as proposed, yes. the Commission on Press Freedom and Media Security shall be under the Presidential Com Communications Operations Office. Exactly. They're basically under... PCO, yeah. Yeah, Malacanang office. Yeah, that's the problem. I mean, again, uh, I'll put it on record. It was my idea. It was part of the position paper that I submitted to the Philippine Senate. And I did not mention about the PCOO because the PCOO is a problem by itself, okay? It, uh, we may need a, a separate episode to talk about the transgressions of the PCOO, but of all the agencies, the independent commission cannot be under a problematic agency that is a purveyor of fake news. I'm sorry to say <laughs> again. <laughs> okay, so in this case, uh, this is something that you wouldn't support, but I think Definitely. Uh, this will still undergo a lot of deliberation supposedly. 
So this can still change. I spoke with the undersecretary, uh, undersecretary Joel Echo before. Okay. He, we talked about this. Why would you create a commission that would still be under the PCO? He said that uh, that was included in the original bill, but I think this could still be changed during oh. amendments. He mentioned Yeah, that. probably. <coughs> and I hope that it that the independent commission will really be independent in the strictest sense of the word. But uh, under this particular administration, it's quite notorious for co-opting certain terms like independent, editorial independence, or even the lack of existence of culture of impunity to suit their own agenda. So let's see. Let's see. Okay. Now, just to wrap things up, let's, let's go back to the basic issue of legacy when it comes to press freedom, media security under this present administration. Again, it's better to, to talk about this once the administration has has been completed. But yes. since they decided to come up with the report midway, so let's talk about the legacy. <laughs> okay. Yes. What do you think will be the legacy, if ever, of this administration when it comes to dealing with media? Media, especially in the context of the absence so far until now of a freedom of information law, even if to be fair to the president, to be fair to him, he came out with, this an, exec with an executive order mm -hmm. on FOI covering the executive department and quote-unquote encouraging local government units to do the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, of course, freedom of information is quite important because uh, as the United Nations uh, says, the, there are uh, inherent rights and one of them is the right to information. So, of course, it's commendable on one hand that you have an executive order that makes a uh, freedom of information available to the executive branch. But again, go back uh, 2016 and then fast forward to now, what has been the end result of this EFOI uh, portal? Uh, sometimes there are requests that are granted and sometimes there are requests where media people are given the run around. Uh, sometimes it's just simply, and some people would say that uh, it's just simply providing a portal but still the same bureaucratic uh, infirmities uh, are still very much, uh, these are still very much entrenched. So the basic challenge for government would be to really be transparent in terms of how uh, it makes decisions and in terms of how it disseminates uh, important information. As I said a while ago, uh, the information office right now of the government is very problematic uh, because its concept of public information is one that is synonymous with public relations and government propaganda. Public information, in the strictest sense of the word, based on the experiences in Thailand or even in the UK, it means that there is editorial independence among government media agencies. There's nothing wrong with having government media. In fact, you can use that term as an alternative to the dominant media where it will be free from advertising and other pressures. BBC does yeah. that. The public information system of Thailand does, uh, do, does that as well. So we cannot, we don't have that right now because the level of maturity of this particular administration when it comes to public information is quite problematic. So if you juxtapose that with FOI, so what kind of information will be provided? Basically, it's just propaganda and very, very much similar to the Duterte legacy facts and figures that were uh, disseminated uh, to the public. It's quite misleading. 64 bridges, I mean... Uh, airports, on. airports. Ah, sorry. Uh, yeah, I stand corrected. 64 airports, for example, in three years, it's quite uh, an astounding feat, if it's really true. They, Actually, they, it's they not true. Yeah, yeah. they clarify that uh, that figure pertains to airport projects, meaning rehabilitation, uh, rehabilitation projects, improvements well, in certain airports. Yeah, well, using words like rehabilitation would have been fine, but if you just put there 64 airports, people would tend to believe that 
did you build those airports? <laughs> I mean, again, it's the messaging, Christian, that would count a lot. And there's a problem with the messaging when you look at information as just simply pro-government propaganda. Okay. Well, Professor Danny Aro, thank you very much for joining us. It has been a very uh, interesting discussion. Thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. Thank you for having me. And that's it for this week's episode. Catch us again next week for another edition of the Matters of Fact podcast. Thank you.